Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for the show that's shaping the way that the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps fundraisers perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, personal relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong partners. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insight into their hearts, minds, and connections of their prospects. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Also, how about being our next host for the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow? Our team at Responsive is looking forward to getting back on the road in 2022. If your organization would like to be a host location, let's schedule a time to chat. The Responsive Fundraising Roadshow provides six hours of the best fundraising training out there based on Responsive's four sense-making tools. Hosting Responsive's Roadshow is not like hosting a major conference that requires months of planning and all types of resources. All you need to do is provide us with a safe learning environment for 25 to 40 adult professionals in your community who want to understand how highly effective fundraising really works. There's no cost to your organization, and we will reimburse you for all related expenses. If your organization would like to host the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, reach out to me today. Before I introduce today's guest, let me say that we're having important conversations here on the Fundraising Talent Podcast with individuals whose voices matter in the fundraising space and the nonprofit sector in general. Sometimes our opinions clash and sometimes they align. What's important is that we're having the conversation. If you have an opinion, whether I agree with you or not, let's hear it, let's elevate it, and let's wrestle with it. I want you to influence my thinking on these things. And more importantly, I want your ideas and opinions to influence the thousands of listeners who are downloading our podcast every month. If you want to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, reach out and let's make sure you're included in an upcoming lineup. Hi, Janelle and Nikki. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast today. We have uh, spent the last few minutes sort of dealing with the uh, usual technical glitches that oftentimes happen with using virtual technology. We're all learning how to get really good at using for the last couple of years. Um, I think we and... um, Whoever's behind, whoever's backing you all up has been trying to coordinate this conversation for quite some time. So I'm glad that we finally got this scheduled. Um, I don't know you. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but that's actually the point. Uh, For anybody who listens to the Fundraising Fundraising Talent Podcast knows that we invite our guests to come on with a big idea or bold opinion, something don't know what that opinion is. And so it makes for a very unrehearsed and meaningful conversation about something that we all care about. So uh, I'm delighted to have you here. Um, how about we just start with asking you to, uh, Janelle, we'll start with you. How about we ask you to introduce yourselves? Well, absolutely. It's wonderful to be here with you, Jason, and one of my favorite people um, that I've known now for several years, Nikki Childers. Um, so Janelle DeRay, I am the Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President of an organization called Jobs for America's Graduates. And I love what I do. You know, it's that old cliche, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. A little bit about me. I'm from Northwest Minnesota. I grew up on a little tiny farm up there. And I like to say it's the end of the earth. I'm very close to Canada and North Dakota. It's bitter cold there right now which is why I'm housed up in a cabin with my parents in the southern part of the country to help them get away from that 
I currently live in DC. I've been there for about 13 years. And what else can I tell you? I love playing the piano. I love music. I love a good beer. Fascinating. We'll get more out of that. (laughs) Nikki, tell us who you are, Nikki. Uh, Thank you, Jason. And thank you to all the listeners. Uh, I'm Nikki Childers. I'm the Director of Development and Partnerships for the same organization, Jobs for America's Graduates. We call it JAG. And and once you become a member of JAG, we have a hashtag called JAG Family. Um, I have been with the organization for several years, starting back in 2013, when I was actually an educator doing the JAG model in an urban high school. So I reside in Kansas. I can't say it's bitter cold, but I can say that we could have a tornado, a thunderstorm, a snowstorm, and 70 degree weather all in the same week. So if you know anything about the Midwest, that is exactly what that is. Um, Not so much beer, but wine. Wine is my deal. So I'm happy to work side by side with my partner, Janelle. We have done some great work that we are excited to share with Jason and the audience. But thank you for having me. So I've never done this, but I think we could talk about the weather for a few minutes. <laughs> That's interesting you both referenced. There's no way you've never done that. <laughs> I've never talked about the weather on the podcast, honestly. 300 episodes and the weather has, we've never relied on the weather. But the, lately I've been telling people that, so I live here in the mid-Atlantic, just north of where you're at, Janelle. And um, you're, you said you're down in D.C. I'm up in York, Pennsylvania. And I've been referring to this as um, what we have here in the mid-Atlantic lately is what I call stupid cold. And it's this cold mm-hmm. weather that sort of makes everything cold. I'm, I'm burning far more firewood than I really want to pay for. Um, but outs- but but it's not beautiful outside. It looks like late October, right? It's, it's not uh-huh. worth the cold. I would rather have three inches of snow regularly on the ground like you get in other parts of the country. Um, and so I call it stupid cold. So can you relate? Yes. <laughs> I think I... I feel like DC gets stupid cold a lot because it's that cold and you just don't enjoy the outside. There's no snow. There's nothing pretty to look at. It's concrete jungle. Yes. At least in Minnesota, you know, you might have, man, 15 below zero and you might have that for a month. The coldest I remember as a kid is 90 below wind chill. But at least you can look out the window and be like, Look at that frost. Look at that snow. That's pretty. I'm not going to go touch it. I'm not going to go out there, but it's pretty. Yeah, I mean, wow. my my yard is never more beautiful than the middle of a snowstorm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm the worst. I'm the, I'm the worst at keeping taking care of my yard. But I look like I take care of my yard as well as anybody else. And the, when there's four feet of, you know, <laughs> four inches of snow <laughs> on the ground. So, so Janelle and Nikki, we like to invite our guests to come on here with a big idea or bold opinion. And as we said a few minutes ago, I don't know what that big idea might be or bold opinion might be. But um, what do you got for me this morning? We have a big idea, and actually, it's moving forward as of January 1, 2022. So, you know, both Nikki and I work with Jobs for America's graduates. It's an amazing organization. I've been with the org now since, God, over over 12 years at this point. So Nikki and I started around the same time, and it's just a magical thing that JAG does. We work with 75,000 young people across 1,500 communities in 40 states. And our kids and the educators that support them and the affiliates that support them are amazing. And in fact, with our class of 2020, we're working with high school age students primarily for our class of 2020. And we all know what was going on then. Schools were closed. Pandemic was raging across the country. Our kids who face academic, environmental, economic challenges, our kids had a 96.7% graduation rate. And their employment rate, their unemployment rate rather, was three times less as compared to all youth across the country. So when we got the data, our board, which is made up of 14 governors, C-suite executives from the Fortune 500, and leaders from community leaders like Mark Moriel, the president of the National Urban League, when they saw those numbers, they said, the country needs us. The young people of this nation need us. 
the employers need us. We need to do more of it. So we came together as an organization, as a national network, working with our affiliate leaders and said, how do we do this? So in short, it's called Youth Opportunities and Outcomes 2024, what we like to call U24. And it has charted the way for us to double in size and scale, do what we did in 40 years, do it again in three on behalf of the young people of this nation. So we have some strategic goals in there, some priorities, and we're all in to double the number of young people that get this program at, a t- at their time of greatest need. U24, that's our big idea. Nikki, why don't you talk a little bit more about U24 and, and what it means? What are we going to do? <laughs> Absolutely. So if you think about it, and I want to use the hashtag U24 throughout our conversation, but um, especially for our our listeners, thinking about our young people and like, where are they and where are they, where do we pivot them moving post COVID? And and Jason made a comment definitely offline, like we're not even past the COVID point yet. We're like Mm -hmm. midway through. So school, so schools are still grappling. Educators are grappling. Our young people are grappling. Our families are grappling. And then also our organizations and partners, businesses are grappling with the workforce and the labor force and supply chain. So how can we encompass all of that? So looking with U24, we think, like Janelle said, we're creating those opportunities for um, young people, more equitable opportunities for them at the time at their greatest need. But how are we going to do that? So I want to share just about our strategic priorities. There's four of them. And I think it just really is going to really help our listeners understand that these four priorities are what our whole focus and target is around this initiative. And so let's I'm starting with the first one, which is invest in our network. So how are we supporting our affiliate states? So JAG, as Janelle mentioned, is in 40 affiliate states. How are we supporting them? How are we helping them sustain and grow? Um, how are they be able to support even more young people at that state and local level? So investing in our network is definitely priority because without our state affiliate support doing what they do, how are we reaching our 76,000 young people? The second is to serve more young. Mm -hmm. Nikki, I wonder too, just thinking of the listeners and from a fundraising standpoint, what this really means. And let's just hang on that first, that first priority, if you will. This is, this is difficult work, right? Because if you're in an organization where you're fundraising and you're also supporting fund development for affiliates and partners and individuals that are benefiting from the work that you do, we know that it has to be done sustainably. And we know that organizational development is is absolutely paramount if you're going to be able to deliver services for your community, your clients, your, your beneficiaries, however you go about it. So when we went to our affiliates and asked them, how are we going to grow? How are we going to serve twice as many young people? They said, well, we need to be able to deliver on that. We need capacity to do so. And it's it's tricky at this moment for us because the amount of federal funding that is coming through to chief state school officers for their state departments of education, to local school districts, specifically to support young people who have been most adversely impacted by the pandemic There's this element of fundraising that can be difficult because some funders are saying, well, you know, we know what you do. We believe in what you do. But look at the massive amounts of public funding right now. What what is the difference that our dollars are going to make? So by investing in our network, our affiliates are saying we can go do that. But if we're going to continuously innovate, those public dollars are meant to serve young people right now where they're at, supporting in local school districts, community based organizations, what have you. So the. The approach that we've taken with this Invest in Our Network is, from a fundraising standpoint, private sector funders, we need your support for organizational development so we can continuously innovate. So our staff at the affiliate level are building their skill sets, are, can stand up strong organizations that can work with their state and local agencies. So just wanted yeah. to think of it from that perspective, too. You know what I'm and saying, Nikki. Absolutely. I'm so glad, Janelle, that you made that point, because thinking about the money, let's talk about the money that are coming down to our states and and then 
is it sustainable? You know, it's like you said, it's helping our young people now, but what does that look like several years from now? So that's always been a topic of conversation, just not only with our affiliate states, but with others is, you know, okay, let's say I have an opportunity to reap some of the benefits of that financial support at the state level. But once we get past COVID or two, three years from now, and, and I've grown this organization or if I've grown programs to a certain level, how am I going to be able to sustain that once that money disappears? So I'm, I'm so glad that you're able to, to, to share that as well um, about investing in our network. Um, the next one is serving more young people. We talked about an ambitious goal. And Janelle, maybe you could jump on in and share, but we have this ambitious goal. We already serve 76,000 young people, but we have an ambitious growth goal, growth goal to serve 150,000 young people annually um, for the 24-25 school year. So let's talk about that. I think I think we need to pause and really take in what that means for the young people that we serve and what that means for other um, organizations that are listening that are trying to have an ambitious growth goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone wants to scale services, but to do so that rapidly is, that's a big, it's a risk. I think the previous goal that we talked about or the previous priority about investing in our network is what sets that up for success. But it's a, it's a lot. It took 40 years for us to get to this scale. We're a 40-year-old national nonprofit, and now we want to double our scale in four years. So, Can you all do something for me? Yeah. Because yeah. I really want to get – I'm thinking about the person who's listening to the conversation and where we've come thus far. I want you to put a name and a face and an age and a place. Where does this person find – tell me a story. Who is the person – when we talk about the student that you all are helping, who's this young person? Give them a name. And tell us, mm-hmm. tell us who this person is. Put them I in the world. You know, you answer that. <laughs> well, well, Jason, I can definitely give you a visual. Like I mentioned before, I started in the classroom as a JAG specialist. So we call yeah. our, our educators JAG specialists, specializing in this JAG model and helping our young people. So imagine myself coming in as a JAG specialist in an urban school in the in the state of Kansas, roughly yeah. twenty three how. 2,300 young people in one school. And so you think about all of the levels of learning that we have as well as barriers to success. So here I have my young student that comes into my class. This student's at the bottom 25%. They have barriers to success that could represent academic, social, economic. Um, They could be one or two grades behind their peers. And let's not talk about the social, social, emotional distractions that they have outside of school. And so coming into my classroom, not only am I teaching them employability skills, how am I preparing them for the workforce, but I'm also preparing them for life. So oftentimes I am that counselor, I am that mom, I am all of the above that they need to serve the whole child. And so what we're doing is we're not only exploring opportunities based on their interest, but making sure we ensure graduation. Janelle mentioned earlier our graduation rate for our graduating seniors, but not making sure they graduate. But then what what is the post-graduation success? What does that look like? So all of that is in the classroom setting and preparing them for that, whether it's post-secondary, whether it's military. Um, I have stories for days, Jason. I'm just going to tell you, I have stories for days on young people (laughs) that weren't supposed to graduate, young people that wasn't supposed to be successful. And being able to take this model as well as providing that support and turning them into successful outcomes. Um, I have some young people that still call me. I have 2014, 2015 graduates. I've been far removed from the classroom that still reach out and I still see them. Um, And oftentimes, if it wasn't for a program like JAG, where would they be? So I I think what I'm hearing, it's interesting, sort of the context at which you're sort of adding a layer, a much more enlightening layer for me to clear, because we've had recently as this this whole notion of the the great resignation and the labor market and jobs and those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. And then I'm oftentimes, most of our listeners are oftentimes hearing me talk about the college students I teach over at the local private liberal arts college here nearby. And I've got students that are generally soft, uh, juniors and seniors in college. And so they're not quite experiencing sort of the current 
labor market, but they're certainly experiencing sort of the current reality. And then it sounds like in your case, you're talking about a student who is even a step ahead, you know, they're they're not even necessarily in college yet. And so there's a layer of understanding that you're sort of, ha- I, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm sort of thinking, okay, these folks are thinking way, way down the, you know, further ahead down the continuum before sort of the realities of our current world and the myriad of challenges that the current world sort of faces um, presents. Because, I mean, a lot of my guests, for example, are talking about you know, how do we hire 25 to 35 year olds to do mm. these, you know, fundraising mm. jobs? Um, and they're oftentimes wanting people who sort of come from, uh, you know, worlds and places and experiences, lived experiences that perhaps are, are going through programs like yours. Um, but I don't know that they necessarily relate to and understand who these young people are, perhaps like in the way that you all are, you kind of, are you connecting the dots between what our normal conversation is and what you guys are probably offering our conversation? You're offering a different layer and maybe perhaps a, a richness to the conversation. Yeah. You know, the, Janelle speaking, not necessarily Jag or anything else, but I feel as a nation, we just, we are not focused on this topic enough of discussing career pathways as soon as possible in life and connecting real opportunities to interest aptitudes and communities that young people are in. You know, we, we go through school, we learn our core content. We maybe have an interest in something. And if you're not getting that nurture, nurture or nagging at home, whatever it may be, right. You get in your path based on, what your guidance counselor has said, what your friends are doing, whether that's college or going into the workforce. And what does that mean? What does that mean in terms of the future of work? What does that mean in terms of setting yourself up for lifelong learning, knowing that's the job you might be interested in now may not even exist in five years. You got to start those conversations earlier. So people are prepared for what is sure to be an even more turbulent labor market or rather job market because of emerging technologies and the systems in place that are meant to support and train are not the most agile to be ready for that. So you really have to focus on that individual earlier on. And then you will maybe find when you're looking for someone to do fundraising when they're 30 years old, Maybe they haven't even done it before, but they've had those skill sets and they're adaptable and they can leverage various skill sets from previous jobs, customer service orientation, sales, salesmanship, whatever it may be. And they can jump in accounting and they can jump into that fundraising element and really have a head start on you that you wouldn't even think about. There's a lot of people in the nonprofit sector and certainly within the fundraising community that are also talking about the, you know, the DEI conversation is a steady theme within our podcast company. We're talking about talent here on the show. We're talking about wanting to recruit and retain a more diverse and equitable and inclusive sort of workforce within the nonprofit sector and in fundraising roles in particular, but does an organization like yours sort of look at this conversation differently or, I mean, is there, is there a, are there any pieces to the conversation that a guy like me on a podcast like this, talking to people that are currently in the workforce are, are sort of missing that someone like yourselves who are looking at younger people that are still perhaps in high school, for example, is there something we're missing that maybe we're going to encounter differently in 10 years when these, when these young people are in the workplace? I mean, I'd say you got to reach deep. Okay. <laughs> you got to reach deep. I, yeah. I was talking to someone the other day and they they run a global company in the state of Minnesota and they're focused on DEI. Yeah. And the responses that this individual got from their talent acquisition leads was, well, Minnesota just doesn't have enough diversity. That is not an acceptable answer. Minnesota is diverse. You have to go into communities and get to know people And inform them about the opportunities, but listen and learn as much because people are looking for culture in their companies where they, where they feel like they can belong. That's my perspective. What would you say, Nikki? I agree. Um, 
you know, going deeper is something that, you know, oftentimes is not at the forefront, but you have to have these conversations to be able to see how you can, as an organization, support the whole across the board. And so one of the things that I I do love and and been passionate about our organization is we're very diverse as an organization when it comes to our educators. Um, We are creating these opportunities. And actually, one of our values is adapt always. You know, how can we adapt to new needs, change an environment, you know, not waving, you know, from our core mission. But what are we doing differently to adapt always and bringing equitable opportunities to our young people? as well as to our staff as well. Does, you the know, per- does the young person that you all are talking to, does the young person that you all are talking to assume, um, so I'm 43 this year, for example, and when I look at my, my so I have four children, I have four teenagers, and I've got these slightly older children. You oh, know, wow. Students, I've got these four, 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 I mean, I got these four teenagers at all, my wife and I, and then we've got these, uh, you know, I've got these college students at the college that are slightly older than, than the average age of my four children. And I don't know that they look at the world and all these challenges that adults like us sort of assume the challenges are to be. And I don't Mm -hmm. know that they interpret when we talk about these sort of hot button issues around, Hmm. you know, things that you all are concerned about, things that my guests are concerned about. I don't know if the person, you know, that like when I look at my college students, I was talking to a young man last night, African-American young man. Um, you know, he's a junior in high school, comes from Philadelphia, does not come from the world that I do. And I'm trying to relate a particular idea to him. And I was like, I think I'm disconnecting here. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think I'm connecting and I'm teaching the content really well. Um, but I have to imagine that's the type of stuff that you all are probably sort of wrestling with when you're talking to young people is, um, you know, maybe the content's right, but is the delivery wrong? I mean, is, is mm. that part of what you all are about? Also, I think for, you know, just experiencing that is making things relational. You know, one of, yeah. one of the components that we have of our JAG model or in, in, our, in our educators is, we call it the JAG Advantage. And so there are three pillars to the JAG Advantage. There is that project-based learning, which is that that is that way that we're sharing real-world experiences and getting some of that hands-on employability training and just mm-hmm. really giving them, you know, that scaffolding of and step-by-step. So that's the learning portion, as we know. But then the employer engagement part is connecting real-world experiences. So then we bring in that labor and workforce and how are we preparing our young people to be successful. But what I really want to stress is the trauma-informed care piece. So the trauma-informed care piece is something that is part of who we are as an organization. We train our educators on it. We, we, We speak to partners about it because making it relational being able to ask those tough questions, meeting our young people where they are, that is, I think, is important because, as you mentioned with the young person, that it's, it's not about the, your, per se, your delivery or your, or your content, per se, but how are yes. you making it relational so yeah. they can connect the dots and how it affects them in their world. And I think if more you know, conversations are had about making things relational, um, then I think you can, we can perhaps move the needle a little bit on, because how I, you know, as an African-American woman, how am I hearing what you hear, seeing what you see, but we both have different experiences from that. Um, I worked at a high school that was a very urban high school um, where we had a high population of Hispanic, Hispanic culture. Right, well, right. that culture is different. So I had to teach differently, meet my young people where they were, be mindful of their culture, be mindful of where they come from, their communities. And how am I making that relational when it comes to workforce, education, graduation? So that is just just some of the things that I think that we can all work on when it comes to some of those efforts is how are we making it make sense? As we're talking about it, I'm wondering, and to your point, Jason, you know, is that the adult's way of figuring this out where young people are like, listen, we're a multicultural country and we can respect and understand everyone's differences. And it's just the adult's way of like, how do I figure this out? Because I think, (laughs) you know, kids, I think it was like maybe three, four years ago where maybe even longer, the first kindergarten class that was 
majority minority. Yeah. Which, let's be honest, that means yeah, yeah, white people are the minority. Yes. You know, yeah. let, let's let's call it what it is. So you're, you know, are we going to be here in like 20 years, saying like, okay, now I'm just curious what trauma informed care is going to look like, or social mm-hmm. emotional learning, and if Absolutely. everyone is going to look at us like. God, why did you guys trip over this so much? It's not that hard. Yeah. We're humans. Like I'm learning. We respect each other difference. Yeah. yeah. I'm learning yeah. more. I put this on <laughs> I put this on LinkedIn last night. I'm learning more on how to get along with my peers, even my older, even sort of I I'm recently bantering with a with a with, we'll call it an older white guy, right? With a younger white guy. That's the kind of the dynamic and you know how those white guy smart, we want to you know how those <laughs> things play out. And I and I I wrote on LinkedIn last night. I was like, I think my 17 year old daughter and her worldview is basically helping me sort of understand what's wrong about this dynamic, right? About the dynamic yeah. that sort of exists between me and this fella who are trying to one up each other on social media. <laughs> I, I, I think there's a dy- and I think this is maybe Janelle. What you're getting at is that there's this younger generation. That's and this always happens. I mean, every generation sort of develops a new worldview, mm-hmm, and what a group mm-hmm. like yours is doing. And I've heard other, I've heard, other, I've heard other folks who work in education at earlier point, you know, in K through twelve sort of spaces, um, who say a lot of this sort of way that we form our worldviews happens at the point at which you all are getting at the young person, which is already therefore sort of in many ways figured out by the time they come along and sort of hit my radar when I'm trying to place them with an employer, for example. Um, And so if you don't understand my 17 year old daughter, for example, and with the way she sees the world and the way that she reacts to some of the stuff that you all are talking about, good luck. I mean, you follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with Janelle on how, how, how will trauma informed care look years, you know, years from now, because oftentimes it's just, we're just meeting the whole student, seeing what barriers they have, being able to support them, being able to identify triggers and traumas will help them in the classroom or help them in the workplace. But let's add another layer to that, you know, and and meeting the needs and what those needs look like based on the environment and the cultures that are around us right now. And like you said, Jason, our young people are on the forefront of that. And so with JAG, we are constantly ears to the ground with that, with our um, specialists in the schools, with our young people, and being able to have a listening ear. What does this look like? And then being able to tailor those conversations to equal post-graduation success, whatever that looks like, but then preparing them in more ways than one, just more than just resume building, more than just, you know, job application. But I always say, meeting the needs of the whole child. And yeah, yeah. I, I think that, I think there's a whole list. Yeah. So one of the things we talk about in my consultancy and it's completely unrelated to you. I mean, it's not, it's really not unrelated. That's what the, the, the idea that I think there's a holistic sort of way in the, in, of understanding the world that is perhaps coming, coming to light, I guess is the word in the midst of the 21st century in a way that it didn't exist in the 20th century. A lot of the, a lot of the ways that we sort of think about the way our organizations exist and the way that the consumer society sort of dominated all of our sort of, it it was sort of the center of our identity and stuff. And I think we're starting to realize that we're to be whole people means we're not just buying shit at Walmart, for example. And, um, and, and our identities are a lot more than, you know, we don't want to just be marketed to and stuff. And, and right. yeah, you know. yeah. Right. So, so you all had a couple of a, you had, I don't know that we got, we certainly didn't get through. I started going off on a little bit of a <laughs> no, tangent there somewhere. Yeah. I, I yeah. want to make sure that we, uh, I want to make sure that we get through your four initiatives. I think you were describing. So how far did we get? Well, we, we got through two, but you know what? This conversation actually pitches a uh, uh, priority three, tell the Jack story. That's yes. what we're doing. We're telling the Jag story. <laughs> so how are we lifting the the Jag youth story? You know, how are we, you know, painting a picture of what we do? Who, who are our young people? Because they are the face of this organization. Um, and how are we making sure that our decision makers, our stakeholders, our communities are aware of these successes? And, you know, and how can Jag, how can we, see the help people see the connection the jag is the solution and so especially with your audience um that is listening how are you telling your story and 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 helping people understand 
you know, what you do in, in support and in, in the nonprofit world or, in, you know, in this world, like how in fundraising world, how do you tell that story to fundraising? Janelle, maybe you can go into a little bit more, but that's what I think about well, it. But that is our priority three, definitely to tell the yeah. story. And when you think of it, everything we were just talking about in terms of this cultural shift, which, you know, happens in every generation, but yeah. as an organization that's been around for 40 years, you have to market your prog- your program, whatever it is, and you talk about it. Mm-hmm. And these are the young people we serve. These are their outcomes. It's terrific. Excellent. But where's the young person's voice in that story? Who, I mean, they like you said, Nikki, they're, they're the face of the organization. So it's actively, consciously recognizing that it is time to shift the culture of the organization and let our young people tell their stories. And then, you know, you fit your, you hit your organizational objectives anyways, but you're doing it in a way that's empowering. That also informs, like you said, Nikki stakeholders, because if our, if our affiliates are working with public agencies, in some cases, informing policy, then it should be the young people who are benefiting from services who are getting the jobs, who are engaging with employers and finding out what makes that employer attractive or not, telling that story. So those us old heads know what the hell we're doing in terms of providing services to them. There's a a steady conversation. I don't know how um, uh, Janelle, I mean, uh, Nikki, as a fundraiser, you may be, I'm sure, I'm certain you're aware of this sort of ongoing conversation, Janelle. I'm not suggesting you're not. There's this ongoing conversation that fundraising has sort of allowed the donor, for example, to sort of hijack the story. And so a lot of the focus of what we've been doing for too long in fundraising is just sort of listening to the donor's story. And Mm -hmm. I can really appreciate what you all are saying about the essentially the beneficiary, the person who's actually benefit. Again, I'm, I'm reflecting on my conversations with my students last night, and I'm thinking, okay, the story that matters is the person that's oftentimes being served. Oftentimes, it's the person who's in the most vulnerable of positions. You know, it's not me, the privileged person at the front of the classroom, and it's not the major donor who's got the name on the side of the building there at the, on the campus. And I think that I think perhaps you're uh, it sounds like what we're calling we'll call it an initiative three. Um, mm-hmm. You all are an organization that's perhaps wrestling with the idea that the organization needs to tell the story of the people who are who are totally being who are the beneficiaries of what it is you're doing. Am I right? Absolutely. That's Absolutely. That, that is exactly what we think. And, you know, we could tell stories amongst our our network and we can share with our friends, family, stakeholders, but then we want the, we want as an organization to be identified, like those are JAG students, right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Those are JAG yeah. students. I can tell exactly yeah. who that is because we've been telling this. And if we do it right and tell the story and uplift that um, student voice, then our students will be more identified than Janelle and I. <laughs> you exactly. know what I'm saying? Exactly. That's the, That's the goal. I want them to not know Miss Nikki or, you know, or Janelle. Oh, I love CEO. that. Yeah. Oh, I, I love to, that. Yeah. I'm so, so tired. I am so tired. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is, okay, I, I, I don't, I, I'm 43 this year. I think the two of you are slightly Jason, I will get you hype off Jag. Just be careful. <laughs> Just be careful. <laughs> I, I am so tired of 20, I, I am so tired of 20, 20th century marketing where basically you can hear the agenda of the quote unquote corporation in the language. I'm so tired mm-hmm. of hearing that. And so the company that my business partner and I are trying to build, it's like, I don't want you saying my name. I really don't even want to say my your my brand. I want you to basically hear what I have to say, provoke your thinking. And I want you to learn a language. I want you like what you're saying. You, yeah. you want to hear Jag in their language but you don't need to necessarily damn hear them say Jag and you don't necessarily need your brand on their t-shirt. And I think that's what, that's that richness. That's that depth of understanding about the impact that a nonprofit organization can make. Mm -hmm. And now I'm really warmed up. (laughs) There we go. There we go. And so, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Janelle. Well, you know, like obviously as fundraisers, you got to report, have data, all that, but it's just a simple transition. Mm-hmm. You you start with the story first. Mm-hmm. You let whatever your service is, let the beneficiaries tell it. They are the leaders. They are the heroes. They are the protagonists of the story. 
And then you just have the data to back it up. It's just flipping the approach. It's always like, even when you fill out a grant application, tell us your data, tell us your metrics, yada, 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 yada. And then there's a box at the end. If there's a success story you'd like to upload, not, mm-hmm. which is always optional. Yeah. Attach it here. It's flipping it. It's yeah. flipping it. It's so we've got to get to, we got to get to, we lose our listeners at about 45 minutes. So I don't want to miss okay. what a, uh, item number four is. And then, uh, <laughs> and then we'll make sure to get some information about the organization so people can find you. But what's number four? Number four, improve outcomes through enhanced services. And so what does that mean? And Janelle is, I think, is more prepped for this one because she's been with the organization a long time, definitely. But, you know, for me, you know, improving what we're already doing and at the beginning and the top of the hour, when we started this podcast, Janelle mentioned, you know, we're a 41 year organization. So now we have this three year strategic plan to get us through the next 40 years. But what does that look like? You know, and how are we supporting the other three with this one. What does it make sense? What does it make sense for the future of our young people? So I'm going to toss it over to Janelle. I think oh, she's excellent. Well, Come on. Jump in anytime. I mean, this is really, we talked about the young people, the needs of the young people. And now we want to connect the dots to the actual labor market, the economy that they're entering into. Because now employers are like, all right, we'll, we'll offer you tuition assistance. All right. Yeah. We'll get engaged. We'll we'll go a little bit deeper. All right. We want to get to know you. Tell us what we've done wrong in the past. And, you know, we know that we know that it's a really wonky world right now, but we think it's the best opportunity for our kids, our graduates to enter higher level jobs with more clear, clear career pathways when employers are quite frankly desperate. And we want to leverage that on behalf of our young people because it, it increases their wealth potential longer term. It helps them get in the game more soon. So, you know, we focus on the essential employability skills, what you need to do to land that first job. But now we are layering in and we want to make sure that young people who go through our program have a credential that matters, which is very important. Not all certifications, not all credentials are created equally. We want to make sure that it's actually recognized and it's going to help them get that higher level, that higher level job. And then um, we stick with our kids for 12 months every single one of them after they graduate to support them in that transition, knowing, you know, we, they've had some tough experiences and we want to see them through it, make sure they're on uh, a good path. So we're looking at extending that to two years. We're looking at how do we support them throughout their college experience if they need it. So it's like Nikki said, it's improving our outcomes, but doing so through enhanced services based on what young people, what they need. But I'm really excited about helping our kids get into really higher level jobs and preparing them to be lifelong learners so they can adapt when the next pandemic, the next recession, whatever it may be hits. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I reminded that relationship. of, I, I, I'm reminded of, and I'm, and I'm sure you all speak a similar language. I'm reminded of what I, cause I took some post-grad courses at temple when, um, after I finished graduate school and, um, uh, in urban education. And I remember encountering Fieri's, um, Fieri's, philosophy of education is related to these, you know, third world children in, in Brazil. And I remember this, and we talk about this, we talk about this on the podcast periodically, and I've woven this language into the new, the new forthcoming book. And it's this idea of, you know, critical consciousness. And I think that's Janelle, what you're basically getting at, you know, when you, when you attach a, a credential on the backside of your, you know, on the backside of your name, and we see this in the fundraising space, we've got our, we've got our various different sort of you know, marketing wonks and PR wonks who will sell you credentials and stuff. But, you know, in some ways it's what one author calls, um, what's his name? Uh, Epstein calls it, calls it the cult of early specialization. Like, I don't think you want any of the young people in your classrooms, you know, the young people that you're talking to, to sort of get trapped in this, what he calls the cult of early specialization. They've got to think more critically about what it is mm. they're sort of signing on for. And, um, and I think, again, I think some of this is just a critique of the way that sort of modern education has played out in the 20th century and it's benefited, you know, people that look like me and not necessarily look benefited people who don't look like me. And so I, I, I think that's part of what's going on and it's playing out in every professional domain. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more and it's only going to get it's only going to get tougher in terms of the need to adapt. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, we're talking about jobs with credentials. What about where we're going with uh, Bitcoin and that right. whole space? What right. what is financing our future economy even look like? There's a lot. There's a lot of unknowns right now, and the knowns are created reactionally to answer a problem right now. So I think we still need to do that because people need to earn a living right now. They need to make money, but you have to expand that that consciousness, like you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they. So they don't shut down when that next huge disruption happens. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a consciousness that, uh, and Du Bois talked about that too. It was like, it was like, you know, what do, what do we need? To, how do we educate young people in such a way where they where they don't just sort of become sort of participants in an economy? You know, buy a nice house and two cars and you know the driveway, et cetera, et cetera. But how do you actually sort of lead in an economy? And like you're suggesting, Janelle, I mean, I think about my professional career, and and I'm the probably one of the least fortunate types in the world. I think about my professional career over the last 25 years is, but you know, I've been punched. We've all been punched in the gut starting with September 11th and then the recession and now the pandemic. I don't think any of this stuff's going away. And in the midst of those big unpredictable markers on our history, our recent history, you've got all this technology stuff. You've got the social unrest that we can't get on the other side of and, you know, issues that this country won't sort of resolve, um, you know, and completely denies that are even there in some cases. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. That's the challenge that you're, you know, that ninth grader that you all are talking to um, or that or that, you know, junior in college that I'm talking to um, it has got to confront. Yeah. And there's a, a big shift, too, because you think about with COVID, you know, if we, if we really want to think about it, a young person has missed, you know, like there's two years. There's a two year gap. From the, t- from the time it started, not saying our young people weren't in schools, not, you know, right. but, you know what I'm saying? But there is, there has been a constant shift um, with, you know, what education, what school looks like, um, is it in-person, at home, hybrid, you know, and then let's throw in some technology. And so you're right, you know, we're in constant flux of, you know, what, what can we do to best support our young people? And how can we best support them in a way that they can, you know, like we used to have to ride, ride with the tide, you know, with a lot of things that's happening. You know, how are we preparing them to ride with the tide? Well, and that too, Nikki, and especially for the young people that we serve in JAG, the person who's been ping-ponged around the most in that is the young person. So, again, that how are we preparing them for what's sure to be more of those instances in the future, whatever they play out to be while addressing the trauma that they've experienced at this moment. It's, it's tough, but yeah, I'm totally, thank God for our specialists. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally excited about, you know, I'm thinking again, I'm thinking about the African-American young man that I was sort of wrestling with a question with last night in my class. And I'm thinking my 17 year old daughter who is, she's at Panera right now working um, and I, I just, th- I just think it's a different sort of world. And so this has been an enlightening sort of conversation. I'm, um, I'm grateful that we've had you all on here and it, it sort of t- it puts offers a turn in some of the conversations that we've had recently about talent and the labor market and job security, you know, th- those sorts of things. Um, because it, it does, uh, you, you all said at the very beginning, when I asked the DEI question about, you just have to go a little deeper on some of this too. Um, if somebody's interested in what we've talked about today, who is it you want to hear from and how do they find the two of you? Well, we work with, you know, for the national office, we work with educational leaders, policymakers, business leaders. So if you're interested at a massive global approach or view to this we want to hear from you nikki will probably have a different answer but from where i'm sitting (laughs) i would love to hear from you all and if you're at the local level and you want to learn more at the local level we have 40 affiliates and we can make connections but we want to hear from the stakeholders that are focused on reaching young people at their time of greatest need and supporting them and we want to hear from the employers or the policymakers that are working to connect the dots. So those young people actually have strong opportunities that are going to give them a bright future. Totally agree. 
Totally agree. So where do we find you? And uh, yeah, where do we find you? Do we go to a website? Do we? Uh... Our website is um, jag.org. Um, being able to go to our website, you can see an overview of JAG. You see some of our yeah. measurable outcomes that Janelle had shared at the top of the hour, as well as our board members, who who, who we are. And then and, and you can see who we are as a national organization. Um, but it also, if you will see, the target, the face is our students. So being able to see oh. what we do. Um, but I, that's the first place to find us. Definitely. Um, we, we're eager to hear any feedback that we, you know, provide. Jason, we can provide our information with you as well to share with your listeners. Um, but definitely. Yeah, yeah our emails are, we have our names on the website, Janelle DeRay and Nikki Childers. Our emails are quite simply Janelle.Duray at jag.org, Nikki.Childers at jag.org. As you're looking at the website, know that we're updating it. So we'll also take all your constructive criticism on it because we want to reform that to tell the JAG story in a much more valuable way for our young people. Well, it has been a, certainly been a pleasure to have this conversation. You're both always welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank this you, was- Jason. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent, challenges are ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.